This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned, because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. Hi, Jen. Hi, Em. How are you? So much better now that I see you. (laughs) And this week is just much better for me. You are so much better now that you don't have a kidney stone in your body. Tell everyone about your kidney stone. So I birthed a kidney stone. Also, maybe I should read all of the names that people wrote on to name my kidney stone. Oh, my God. We got such (laughs) good names for this kidney stone. So I'll just give everyone kind of the lay of the land. Yes. Um, Last week, Nikki was away. So Emily and I were covering the business, you know, so we had a lot of stuff to do. Thursday, I wake up, horrible pains. Emily told me it's probably gas pains. So I took a (laughs) I took. Also, (laughs) you are making this like I was. Your husband was a nurse. Don't listen to my dumbass. What do you say? I have to. I have to make it about you because we're on this podcast, and it's so funny to hear your reaction when I blame it on you. Um. So (laughs) Emily specifically told me it was gas pains. Emily was like, "Don't go to the hospital. It's only gas pains. Get over yourself. Take some gas X. I took a bunch of gas X. It did nothing. And you know, I was just in this like achy pain all day. I was trying. I would like feel better for a little bit, and I would stand up and try to do some work, and then I would be like, "Oh, (laughs) have to lay back down. It was terrible." Anyway, so I end up going to the ER. I wait a little bit because my friend works at the Jeff ER um, and she was on night shift, which so I was like VIP in the ER. Uh, If you're going to be VIP anywhere, let it be the ER. Yes. Right. I feel like in our 20s, we're like, I want to be VIP at the club. In your 30s, you want to be VIP at the ER. Let me tell you, I got right in. (laughs) Got right in, got an IV in. They gave me lots of pain meds. Um, find come to find out six hours later that I have a kidney stone, and that I decided at two a.m. that I was going to pass it at home. And so I go home the next morning. I call M, obviously, because we talk every day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I was kind of telling her the process. I have to pee into this little strainer to see when the kidney stone comes out. So I pee into. I show her the strainer. We're, we're FaceTiming. I put her down and I birthed the kidney stone while we're on FaceTime. <laughs> it was such a beautiful moment. <laughs> I just need you to know, I just went through our text messages and the first time I said, maybe you should go to the hospital was 831 in the morning. Oh my God, I love that you <laughs> love just to defend you myself. are defending yourself. I'm so sorry. I do not. I honestly do not blame you even in the least. It was it was honestly me. I did not want to go to the ER and then be like, uh, you have gas fans. <laughs> yeah. Why does that feel embarrassing? It's not like you should be able to get medical care no matter what. But like that does feel embarrassing to go and then be like, you just have gas. I was like that. Like when I was um literally having a baby like come out of me 
<laughs> I like wouldn't go to the hospital because I like can't be like they're gonna send me home and tell me I'm not ready. My husband's like, your water broke twelve hours ago. <laughs> like you like what do you mean you're not? You know ready? what? You know what it is. It's we as women minimize our own pain, just like the medical system minimizes our pain. Wow, that's what it is, right? We've like, internalized like, that. I know a Completely. man would go to the hospital no matter what. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I think men don't. Yeah, get I don't enough know. Medical Maybe just know. Yeah, that's probably true. Okay, here are some of the names for yes. my kidney stone. Ready? Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> the Rock. <Edit>. The Rock. <laughs> just in case no one knew who Dwayne Johnson was, you know. Um, someone said Spike Prick. Someone said, I love this one. Someone said Kid Rock. Like, <laughs> why didn't I think of that? That is so good. Um, what else? What else did someone say? Someone said had a roommate that named hers calcium and it was Cal for short. That's, That's nice. So nice. That's so cute. You know, it's also really validating to hear that I'm not the only one naming their kidney stone. Oh, you I know, think everyone should. It's a beautiful, beautiful yeah. thing. Someone said, someone said by someone, I mean you, Sally the Stone. <laughs> I said that one. So these are just some beautiful names that you've named my new child. And people wow. have said that, you know, having a kidney stone is worse than childbirth. So That's insane. That is fucking That's my insane. child. I know. I mean, if you think how small a vaginal opening is and then you think of how small a urinary tract is. Holy gajeebers. Teeny, teeny tiny. Holy gajeebers. <laughs> Zoinks! So, Zoinks, Fred, there was a kidney stone. <laughs> Never heard Zoinks in my life. Scooby Doo? But once again, I, you know, I don't have a, an actual child. <laughs> I, okay, but I, I knew what that was before I had a child. Just like my kidney stone is not watching Scooby Doo yet. <laughs> yeah, but never say never. You never know what that stone's going to be into in a few years. Okay? That's true, right? They grow up so quick. <laughs> I have to get it analyzed. I have to like take it in and get it analyzed to see like what is it. <laughs> Someone's gonna be like, I listen to this great podcast about therapy, and then people are gonna hear a story about a fucking dressed up ham and name me a kidney stone, and we don't look like very legitimate therapists anymore. Then <laughs> you know we got it. We got to put a little bit of humor into this, otherwise it would just be you know just and like a heavy ass podcast. Is- <laughs> And this is also why we'll never get hired as professors. Definitely not. I'm totally fine with that. Same. I'm sorry. Did you, I'm sorry. Is that a dream of yours that we're ruining right now? I had no idea. Do you want to be hired? Have you been applying <laughs> behind my back and I didn't know? Like, you yeah, knew I, that I was, that was like, the you know direction we were going. Like, I love, I'd love to leave this amazing career to go make a thousand dollars as an un- adjunct professor and get treated like shit. Professors are treated like garbage. It's really a shame. It's horrible. It's Academia, really, but it's also very funny Academia. that we're sitting here talking about kidney stones and dressing yes, up a honey yes. ham. And so um, I don't know, I don't know how to make this trend. Actually, I do know how to make this transition. If you need therapy after listening to this conversation, you might need some therapy from this conversation i need some therapy for my kidney stone experience well let me say as i as i finish out my kidney stone experience and i think you can you can attest to this too i think we have both proven to ourselves this week that we can do literally anything yes like i thought having my confidence is sky high safe i'm like i can deal with anything i birthed a kidney stone i can do literally anything yes well my husband was traveling nikki was away you were in the hospital i had a sick kid and I handled everything with the business. 
And it brings back to this thing we've talked about before is that self-esteem comes from mastery. The ways we feel good about ourselves is actually about challenging ourselves and doing something hard and feeling good about it, even if it wasn't perfect. And I think we both had that experience last week of like, hey, we did something really, really hard and we can handle shit. Something that we never we didn't think we would be able to do, you know, like I don't I didn't think I'd be able to get through that pain. And I did. You didn't think you'd be able to run the business on your own while everyone's out of commission. And you did, you know, so it's just I love to pinpoint these examples for the future because shit always comes up, right? It's just it's going to come up. And so to just say, well, I got through that. I can get through whatever comes my way in the future just to hold on to that. And, you know, I'm probably going to bring this into my therapist appointment. And today (laughs) we are going to be answering all of your questions about therapy, questions about starting therapy, finding a new therapist, breaking up with a therapist and therapist horror stories, which, you know, are horrific to hear. But, you know, they're real. They're real and we will we'll get through them. Um, but wait, we had an intro that we didn't even do. And- oh my gosh, from Lauren. Lauren, a listener, la- wonderful listener, Lauren wrote in and said, What's the best and worst vacation you ever took? Best was Thailand. That, was your my, best be- Thailand? my best was Thailand too. Yeah, yes. We both went to Thailand. Not together. Not together. Separately. But, but, but even better for you together. <laughs> <laughs> We both went, went, went on our honeymoons. We both went to the same place on our honeymoons. And I have to say, I copied Emily. It's cheap there. You know? It's great. It's a good place. It's, You're so, there for one, it's, yes, a, no, it's no. a wonderful, it's, wonderful yeah. trip. But worst vacation I ever took. I don't know if I... Okay, actually, I have one. Go. A few years ago. This had to be... Oh, my God. So probably like 10 years ago now. No. Yeah. Like probably 10 years ago, me and my family took my nephew to Disney World at Christmas time. Oh my God. It was fucking horrible. That's terrible. It was a horrible, horrible decision. There was so many people there. He was kind of too young, like not super into everything. We were all grouchy and crowded. That I would say was probably the worst. But there were still lovely parts of it. Like even the worst vacation is still an amazing vacation. Yeah. I have to say Disney. Disney World is like my worst nightmare. <laughs> that's like your hell. That's we were just talking about. Like, oh, are we going to take Millie soon? And I keep being like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to. Okay, mine was um, when I lived in Barcelona. We went to we went to Paris for a weekend, but before that, we had been. You know, we were traveling all over the place. We had been to Switzerland. You know, we were just like bopping around. My roommate at the time tore her ACL skiing. Ooh. And so the next weekend we went to Paris. It was like in February. It was freezing and we were wheeling her around everywhere, which is so sad, you know, and I was so young at the time. So I didn't get to like appreciate anything. So yeah. it just, you know, I, I You're also about all the shit you can't you couldn't do. Exactly. You, you weren't so able to be. I don't want to complain enjoy. about like being in Paris. It was gorgeous but it was just cool you just you just want to do all these things that you can't do but yeah she's better <laughs> that really sucks you tore acl yeah skiing and was she out for like half of your oh yeah we we wheeled her abroad? around the rest of the rest of abroad so we were either wheeling her around or she was on crutches I know it was so sad. Oh, that no. was not the way she thought her abroad experience was going to go. No, huh? no. And but... sometimes when experience doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, that's when you go talk to a therapist. So there let's it talk is. Then we're back. All the we're things back. <laughs> about being a therapist. 
We are so excited to share our newest sponsor with you all, Hungry Root. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered to your door. The team at Hungry Root just sent me a new box full of amazing stuff. It was literally like I was opening a present going through it. Seeing what was inside and trying everything was just so thrilling. In my Hungry Root box was chicken salad, veggies, dumplings, shakes, cookies, and so much more. My favorite thing I tried was the drumroll donuts. I highly recommend them. The ordering process could not have been more simple. You take a fun, short quiz, and Hungry Root will get to know your personal health goals, what you like to eat, the kitchen appliances you use, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all of your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to good use. Hungry Root will recommend recipes and groceries based on your personal tastes, but each order is fully customizable. Take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, pantry staples, healthy snacks, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, and much more. Hungry Root has made my daily meal prep so much easier. The mental load of grocery shopping is exhausting, and Hungry Root gives me back that mental energy. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When bloggers or influencers post their outfit links, nine times out of 10, I click on it and immediately exit because the price is bananas. It wasn't until recently that I clicked on something expecting it to be the usual out of my price range sweater and it was under $60 at Quince. Quince has become my ultimate destination for luxury essentials that won't break the bank. Let me tell you about some of the gems I found at Quince. From their 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters starting at just $50 to their washable silk tops and dresses, organic cotton sweaters, and stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, Quince offers a range of high-quality items at prices that are truly within reach. And here's the best part. All Quince items are priced 50-80% to less than similar brands. Yes, you heard that right. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman passing the savings on to us. I recently got my hands on one of their washable silk tops and let me tell you it has become a staple in my wardrobe. Not only is it incredibly versatile, I've worn it to work, out with friends, and even dressed it up for a date night, but the quality is unmatched. Give yourself the luxury you deserve with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. We have answered this question before, but we will both answer it again. Somebody wrote in for all of our listeners, how'd you guys become a therapist? And the reality was Jen and I both had really shitty experiences as clients and we're also already the person their friends already kind of went to. And I think that there is something, and I think we could also talk about some of the um, the horror stories, therapy horror stories. But when you have a negative experience in therapy, I think sometimes you react a few different ways. One of those is that like, you're like, I'm never doing this again. I'm never going back to therapy. Therapy is bullshit. Another one's like, I got to never go to this person again. I'm going to talk about it. Or you be Jen Knight and you're like, fuck this. This was so bad. I could do this shit better and I'll become one. <laughs> and that's basically what we did. Yeah. I had a therapist in college who I was in a really bad relationship and like went in to talk about it. And she was much older than me. And the only thing she was focusing on was my drinking. <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm in college. Yeah. You know, like I understand that like what I'm doing definitely is not healthy, but like that is not <laughs> what I'm here for. 
<laughs> she was so focused on it. <laughs> but I had a similar thing too, where this guy yeah. was like, oh, like this is about your drink. I'm sitting there saying like, I want to go home and I hate college. And he's like, it's because you're drinking. I'm like, well, that's not really the reason. I hate it when I'm sober too. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was like, it was, um, it was the deep, deep feeling of not being seen. Yes. And of feeling like your therapist has their own agenda. Yeah, I think that's that, how that that's was. what it was for me. Yeah, it very much felt like the therapist had their agenda or had tunnel vision in a lot yeah. of ways, and uh, and not being heard or seen is was was a big part of that. So, can I do these therapist horror stories really? Please, fast? yeah, I think it's a great idea. It's a great. I want to. We can go through these very quickly. But so somebody said, I had a therapist ghost me after our first session. Is this normal? No, it's not. No, your therapist. There's chances your therapist might say to you, "Is like, hey, like, I don't know if I'm the best fit for you." Right. If you're coming in to talk about if you're someone who doesn't work at all with addictions, you have someone who's coming in to talk about addictions. It, yeah, it's, it's not the right fit. Which so there's lo- mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry I interrupted you. No, but gosh, please tell me. I was just going to say like that. That is it's it is a it is good practice for your therapist to do that. You know, I think yes, that they should. as a client, especially when you're vulnerable going into a new therapist to hear that from uh, to hear that from a new therapist, for them to say, like, I don't know if I'm the right fit for you. Like, I want to set you up with, you know, this person or this person. It can be a very vulnerable, like, rejecting experience, too, when you're going in and you're feeling, you know, you're already in that kind of fragile state. But I just want to reiterate that it is good practice that if your therapist doesn't work with what you're bringing in, um, or they think that someone else could help you more, then it, it is good practice for you to go in. Maybe you see them once, maybe you see them twice. And for them to say like, hey, I've really thought about this and I might not be the best fit for you. And I also understand how difficult that can be you know, financially also because you've paid for two sessions. Um, and also maybe you've you've opened up a ton. Um, and so to have a therapist say that to you after you have gone through that process can be really, really hard. But to know in the end that is best practice if your therapist is really think they are thinking about you and they're thinking about your care. What matters is how they go about it. So if they ghost you, that is not normal and that is not good practice. Yes. yes. Although what I have heard people say before is sometimes throughout something people also have to remember, especially if you're having a therapist in private practice, therapists are not taught how to run a business. Therapists are taught to help be therapist. So let's say your therapist ends the session with, well, let me know if you want to reschedule and they put it on you and then you don't hear from them. That's not necessarily ghosting, but it is not the best communication option. And a lot of times when you have a therapist, especially if they're newer into private practice and they're and they're like totally on their own, not in a group practice, sometimes like people don't know how to like the best way to run a business because like it is you're it's not taught. Like in grad school, they fucking tell you like go work for an agency, go pay your dues, that's what you're supposed to do. And then a lot of people want to be in private practice because it is financially typically the better option. But it's not taught. So like sometimes there's like this little thing, especially like if you're in a corporate world and you're like, this bias feels so weird. And it's like usually because like there could be the badass, best fucking therapist in the world to be a shit. Not the best at running a business. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It and, and And both things matter, yeah. you know, fortunately and unfortunately. That's something we try to do is like really help our therapists with their communication. Because once again, no one teaches you that in school. They no. just teach you therapeutic skills. Right. And And the business part is a huge part of it. Yeah. Somebody said, my therapist is quick to diagnose people in my life with personality disorders. Is that a red flag? I don't know if I'd call it a red flag, but I think I'm going to say something shitty. Okay. (laughs) I think it's the easy way out. 
I think it's the I think it's the easy non-confrontational way to blame other people. Mm. As opposed to being like so what's your part in this? Right. And I think especially if it's like a younger or newer clinician, it's very hard to challenge clients. Right. Well, I get I I also I guess the question is what comes after that, right? Like yeah. what comes after them? diagnosing people uh, you know if they're saying like i can't diagnose this person they're not they allowed seem to. to i'm not al- i can't diagnose them i'm you know i'm from what you're telling me i'm noticing xyz let's talk about you don't have control over what they are doing let's talk about what you do have control over mm-hmm. and that is your part in this or how you respond to this right so if it just stops there where it's just like I'm diagnosing all these people in your life and then we're done, then that's one thing. What comes after that? You know, how how does it play out after that in session? What does that look like? And just so everyone knows, ethically, we are not allowed to diagnose anyone that's not in the room. Right. So you actually aren't able to diagnose people. Um, you are able to say, hey, I see some traits that could resemble blah, blah, yes. blah. Let's read the DSM together and see how you feel about that. That's yes. not diagnosing somebody. It's just saying, you, right, I don't know, but here are Here some. is some information, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, somebody said, is it okay for my therapist's child to be in the room with her doing our Zoom? The child's five years old. <sighs> no. And so it's one thing if you're, the child runs in for a second because the mom didn't realize the door wasn't locked and they got away from the babysitter for one thing. Accidents happen, absolutely. But um, nobody should ever, ever be in the room with your therapist. This one. (laughs) I had a therapist type on a computer and scroll videos during a session. The video started playing out loud. Oh, (laughs) my God. We are so sorry. The amount of people I have had said to me, though, is like I have a therapist that texts during sessions or reads emails during sessions. Or picks up the phone. Yes. I mean, it's one. It, here's the thing. It's one thing if your therapist is like this one time, like I, there's a possibility that I have an emergency or like, and that's right. They communicate with you. You have a when conversation. When my dad was in the hospital with COVID, yes. I start, I remember starting out my session by saying, here is my situation. I have a family member in the hospital. There is a chance I could end up, I, I do have my phone on, if I get called, I do have to go take this. And if that had happened, the phone never rang. It didn't matter. But if it had happened, I wouldn't have charged for that. Like, let me, right. like, if something had happened, I had to leave for whatever reason. And we've had, I know we have a clinician at our practice who um, got a call during a session that her daughter was having trouble breathing and she had to go meet um, the daughter at the hospital with the other partner. And so she called me up. She's freaking out. She felt so guilty. And I was like, don't charge the clients. People will survive. Like the only thing that matters is your is being with your child right now. Yes, and it's fine. So like the reality is, your therapist is people, and things can happen. But they shouldn't be texting. They should definitely shouldn't be fucking scrolling, right? Right, <laughs> scrolling and watching videos like they were on TikTok or like <laughs> yeah, that's that is or like YouTube. Like what was happening? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, I'm so sorry that you had that experience though, and that's where that is where I want to reiterate, right? Like where. You could have a bad experience with a therapist, and that might mean that the therapist is not the right fit for you. And you, there are other therapists out there. It does not mean that therapy does not work, right? Yeah. And I, but it, understandably so, those experiences can be damaging. They can be hurtful. And I think, and I think someone wrote in about this, but 
something I want to normalize is that you can bring those experiences into your next therapist and have a conversation about them because therapy is a very vulnerable experience to talk to someone about kind of your deepest, darkest things you're going through and to have that trust be broken down in some way that can be really hurtful. It can be a wound. And so you can bring that in to the next therapist that you see. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feet is flooded with customize this and personalize that, all promising to fix my fine lines and thinning hair. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. Your formula couldn't exist without you. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. They get personal. Pros covers everything from your concerns to your age, exercise, and stress levels in order to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They asked me about my hair loss being genetic in my family, how long it takes for my hair to get oily after a wash, what products and tools I use to style my hair, and even my zip code to understand how the water hardness, UV index, and cold dry winter in Philly might be impacting me. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed my hair is so much softer, shinier, and fuller. I keep getting asked if I got a blowout from the salon. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party double-bind dermatologist-supervised clinical controlled study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash shrink chicks. Say goodbye to the cheap razor era, my friends. It's time to treat your body to the premium shave it deserves with Athena Club. Em and I just got back from an amazing trip to the Caribbean to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our practice, the therapy group. And in haste of packing, because yours truly is a packing procrastinator, I forgot my Athena Club razor at home and had to resort to using a subpar flimsy razor that left my skin feeling anything but smooth, a mistake I will never make again. The Athena Club hype is real. The shave is seriously the smoothest I've ever experienced, and that is especially evident after having to use another razor in its absence. Aside from the amazing smoothness, let me tell you why Athena Club's razor kit is a must-have in your self-care routine. First off, can we talk about the price? At just $10, it's an absolute steal. But don't let the price fool you. This razor packs a serious punch. It comes with a beautifully made ergonomic handle and two super sharp razor heads that deliver an incredibly smooth shave every time. Plus, with the included magnetic hook, storage is a breeze. No more dealing with gooby blades or unexpected midnight shower crashing sound surprises. And the quality of the shave is top notch. Those five precision engineered blades glide effortlessly, leaving you a silky smooth skin every time. Plus, the water-activated serum and built-in skin guards ensure a comfortable, irritation-free shave. Are you ready to upgrade your shaving experience? Switch to the best razor on the market and show your skin you care with Athena Club. Head over to athenaclub.com to try their award winning razor and body products and get 20% off your first purchase with code shrinkchicks at checkout. You can also find Athena Club razors at your local Target store. Trust me, you won't look back. Happy shaving. So let's go through some of these questions here. 
How to find one and what does insurance cover? This is a really good one. I want to talk about the basics. If you are looking to go through insurance, you're going to contact your insurance provider directly and you're going to ask for one, information regarding your um, mental health services. And you're going to ask for a list of in-network providers. This is going to be much faster than you going on psychology today and emailing 15 fucking therapists and saying, do you take my insurance? And the reason that is, is lots of therapists, one, do not take insurance. And the reason for that is very, very simple, which is the reimbursements for mental health care providers is garbage. And so my fee could be $150, very normal, typical fee for out of pocket. And let's say that I'm, I'm paying on one insurance, they submit it, I could end up getting paid $30 for that. Sometimes you get up paying $75. But people are paneled with things typically based on reimbursement. And so if it's very difficult for you to find anyone at work provider with your insurance, it might be that they just pay less to therapists. So you're going to ask for that list of in-network providers. And then right there, you already have a list of every single person that takes your insurance in your area. That is the quickest way to get your list. It is not Googling. It is not reaching out to different clinicians. It is going to your insurance if that's what you want to do. A few other options you have for payment is always, you can always request for a sliding scale. You could ask if they have a low fee option. You could ask if they have um, um, uh, pre-licensed individuals. You can ask if someone has interns, any of those things. But the best way to find it is finding a therapist. You sort of have to think about what's the most important thing. If budget is the most important thing, because I'm on a tighter budget, I'm going to have to go with the insurance and the budget option first and then start looking for the right fit. If you're in more of a privileged situation where you don't have that, then I think finding the right therapist, one, I love word of mouth. I know that that's not always a comfortable thing, but if you hear somebody raving about their therapist or talking about it, you can always say like, hey, if it's okay with you, like, could you ask your therapist for a name for me? And word of mouth is legit. Yeah. I feel like people who love their therapist love talking about their therapist, <laughs> right? And But you might be like, oh, well, I don't want to see their therapist because it's my best friend. But you can say, hey, can your therapist give me a recommendation? And so, let me and let me tell you, so the, the next two questions, how to find one, it, been with three, but haven't clicked with any. How do you know if you found the right one? I personally have been through like eight different therapists until I found a therapist I like. Same. And it can be very disheartening to go to multiple therapists and say, like, eh, I don't know if I click with this one. You literally you just know. Yeah. You really just know when it feels right for you. Um, so I would say keep trying, like keep. And once again, I know it can be exhausting. It's almost like dating, right? It's like going on a bunch of first dates where you're like, wow, that felt like a waste of time. That felt like a waste of time. But but it's so essential that when you find the right fit for you. The ways in which it can transform your journey therapeutically is like beyond anything you're going to experience with someone you don't click with mm -hmm. because you're going to feel more trusting. You're going to feel more open. You're going to feel like you can talk about things. They're going to take you to different places. And it also might be the case that like you see someone for, you know, three, five years and then you out, you either outgrow them and, and you need something different and that's okay too. And so I just want to normalize the fact that like the looking for a therapist and the experience of that can, 
can be draining. Yeah, it's exhausting. Um, and that's why at our practice, we try to set someone up. And if they give it a try and they want to try someone else, we set them up with someone else. So we try to make that matching process as seamless as possible. But yeah, it can be it can be exhausting. But I yeah. just I just want to say how important it is to do that work to find someone who's the right fit, because when you get to the point where they are, it's it it can really be transformative in a lot yeah. of ways. It's kind of a nice thing about going to a group practice. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. It's like there's always like a referral. Yes. Or they always have like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that is like a pro, like we're very pro group practice people. Yes. Um, and I think that's like a big part of it. But I mean, Absolutely. when I was writing with Millie, I remember going to five different therapists yeah. and going to all of them like f- five times, like really trying. And and I and I don't know if you had this experience, Em, but like when I was searching for therapists too, I would kind of put it back on myself. Like, oh, this must be me. Like, I'm yeah. just too picky because I'm a therapist myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, when you get when you find the right one, you're like, oh, never mind. Like yeah. they just they just were not the right fit for me. And it doesn't feel you know how if you know you're doing something that doesn't feel like the right fit, it feels like work in a lot of ways. Like now, you know, do I love talking about my emotions? No, but I'm gonna do it because I know it's right for me and I feel safe with my therapist yeah. and I feel comfortable with my my therapist. So it's almost like, you know, working out, right? Fucking hate working out. <laughs> I know. Emily, but Emily called me the other day after a workout and she was like, How was it? And I was like, you know, I'm never gonna say like it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, okay, but me, I didn't work out for how many years and now I work out every single day because right. I love my workout. I love going to the gym. I feel good afterwards, but I also have like friends there and I feel supported. Right. And if you had told me that a year ago, I'd be like, you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> but because I always thought it was me. Right. Exactly. You end up putting it on yourself where it's you just have not found the right fit yet. Yeah. It's, once again, it's like dating. You haven't found the right person yet. You know, yep. it's just it takes time. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else we got? Dealer's choice. I, I really like this one. How to break up with a therapist and how to feel, how to handle not feeling validated by them. So breaking up with a therapist, you're allowed to say like, hey, I've been thinking about it and I think I'm coming to the end of our work together. And like, thanks for this experience. And I'm going to, you know, take a break from our sessions now or I'm going to end. I will say this. If you feel... It would be normal for a therapist to possibly explore why that is. All right, tell me if we've met your goals. Tell me where we're at. That's just like, you know, best practice for us to get some information. But if you have someone who gives you a lot of pushback, well, I've like I've heard this. Somebody told me this horrible story once where somebody went to go break up with their therapist and the therapist was like, so that I'm going to lose 100, 150 bucks each week. And if you get anything like that, that's a huge problem to run. Oh, my God. I know. Is that horrible? You can't see me unless you're watching YouTube, but like my mouth is wide open. <laughs> like I, that is hard. Right. If you're getting pushback or they're, yeah. or they're taking it, per- well, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to come see me? Right. Like if you're getting some sort of like personal reaction yeah. to that, then there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it it is very normal for your and it is good practice for your therapist to be like, well, let's talk through this. Like, tell me about the goals you've accomplished. Tell me about what you want to accomplish next. Yeah. You know, if you want to see someone else. Well, this is, and somebody had written in like, how to end up with a therapist. I know she's taking me where I need to go, but I like her. Yeah. Like, I really like this person. And you can say that. This is actually really hard to me because I actually really love seeing you and working with you. And I think that I've gone as far as I can go with you. Mm-hmm. And most therapists are going to say, 
I'm really going to miss seeing you each week too. And I'm so glad you feel that way because at the end of the day, we're in this weird profession that if we do our jobs well, we lose clients. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And sometimes you can be with someone for years and love them and have amazing rapport and they've taken you so far and you've done such great work. And sometimes we take people as far as we can take them. Mm -hmm. And then it's time for someone else to come in. And so it's normal to try different therapists. It's good. It's important to have different perspectives. Yes. And your therapist can care about you, right? And they can love seeing you and still let you go and say, I understand this is that is important, yeah. right? That's a really important thing to have as a therapist. It's the duality. It's the duality of I can care about you and I can care about you so much that I know that you're doing what's best for you and I've supported you through this and that you've gotten to a place where you can take care of yourself or you're looking mm -hmm. for something else and that's totally fine. It's very healthy for your therapist to have that boundary. And if your therapist moves into, well, I care about you so much that I don't want you to leave, that is more about your therapist. Yeah. Right? That is more something to do with your therapist's abandonment issues, right? Rejection issues. And it's not your job to take care of your therapist's feelings around that. Mm -hmm. Somebody said, how do I max my sessions? I think that for a lot of people, um, processing afterwards, so whether that's writing down what you talked about, I have a bunch of clients that at the end of the session write down some takeaways from the session. Um, because if you're onto something, then it's sometimes helpful for you to review that your therapist should be doing that as well. But a lot of therapists, one of those being me, is I'll open up the session by saying, well, where should we begin today? Because sometimes we talk about something that was really great last week, but then, you know, your dog got hit by a car this week. And obviously, that's where you want to fucking start, right? And so typically, I'm going to always give someone um, autonomy to make that decision. But it could be helpful for you to do processing after the session and, like, keep those thoughts going. Yeah. And something you can do, too, is if you keep like a notes app, if there are things that happen between the times yeah. that you're having therapy, you know, maybe you have this like revelation or you have some sort of argument with someone, write them down. Um, write them down in your notes, because by the time you get back to therapy, you may have completely forgotten about it. But something you want to write down in those notes is like, how were you feeling at the time? How did you react to that feeling at the time? What was going on for you? A lot of the work happens outside of the therapy room. And so for you to be very conscious of what's happening outside of the therapy room and to write it down and to be very present with it and then bring it back into therapy, that is how you're going to get the most out of your sessions. Mm -hmm. If you're coming in to therapy every single time, you haven't thought about or done a thing with what you've talked about, it is going to be harder to get the most out of your sessions. If that's what you need, where you just need to go in and you need to vent and you don't need to get any deeper and that and that's helping you in some way, that's your choice. Yeah. But if you want to get the most out of it, if you want to get deeper, to be very present with yourself outside of the therapy room and then to bring that back into therapy, that is where you're going to maximize your sessions. I loved when clients come in and they have said, Oh, like I wrote down all of this stuff. Yeah. Because I love, I love, I love, you know, and so because it's so helpful, it's so helpful to have direction and understanding. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say is be present outside of the therapy room and then bring that into session. Somebody asked, why do you think it's so hard to be fully honest in therapy? 
I guess I would say probably because it really matters to you what people think about you. The other issue with sometimes loving our therapist, and so many people wrote in different stuff, is calling their therapist beloved, my wonderful, my my angel therapist. <laughs> but that also tells me that you really care deeply about them. And one of the things is that then love can sometimes get in the way. If I care for someone so much, sometimes I'm also worried what they're going to think about me. So I don't always want to tell them the parts that I think are the quote unquote ugly parts. And that's what we're here for is to hear every single part of you. But it is very hard to be honest because it's really hard to be honest in life. You can also bring that into the therapy room. Yes. You can say to your therapist, hey, I'm having a hard time being fully honest in here. And I just want to process through that because the relationship with you that you have with your therapist is also representative of the relationships that you have outside mm -hmm. of the therapy room. Right. So if if the reason why it's difficult for you to be honest with your therapist is because you're caring a lot about what they think, so much so that you don't feel like you can be fully yourself, then my guess is that that also happens outside of the room. And so the work that you do with your therapist is also based in the work you do in your relationship with the therapist. So if you can directly say to them, hey, I'm having a hard time fully being myself or expressing myself fully. I want to talk through why that is and what's going on for me. It gives you the opportunity to have conversations with another human being that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise, right? And to really understand yourself in that context. So bring that experience into the room. Have the conversation about that because that will directly help you transform your relationships outside of the room too. Yeah. Okay. Well, I choose one more before we end. Oh, wow. Okay. This, I like this one. I don't know if this feels like an ending one, but I like it. What's helpful for a therapist to work on in their own therapy? Mm. All of your triggers and little <laughs> wounds and your core issues and all the lovely things. <laughs> so something that can be helpful is shit that gets brought up for you from your own clients. Reactions that you have. Um, uh, times where you ha feel yourself pulling towards or pulling away from something, right? Like, I think it's also really helpful to do what might feel beginner's level genogram shit, like it might be helpful to go back and like really look at family dynamics. If it feels like you don't have anything to talk about, you're not talking enough. Yeah. So if it feels, and like, let me tell you that everyone that we know that's been one of those people that's like, oh, well, I don't really have my own stuff. Okay, we had this amazing interaction that happened our first week of grad school um, where the director of our program, who was this like hilarious dude, um uh was like so every what's everyone's like family issues right like what's everyone's like what's tell me about your fucked up family dynamics basically and this girl raised her hand she's like well what if we don't have one like what if my family's great and he's like i guess you haven't gone to therapy yet and she hadn't <laughs> it's true <laughs> it's true and so if you haven't gone there yet or if you're like there's nowhere to go you're not looking you're not looking. Also, we had another question. I know I'm jumping, jumping back into questions, but it made me think of this. It was, what if you have nothing to talk about in therapy? Oh, those are the best sessions. Sometimes those are the best sessions, and I'll tell you why. When clients come in and they feel like they always have something specific to talk about within that last week, sometimes it keeps them away from the vulnerability of going deeper. Mm -hmm. And 
The reason why those are the best sessions is because it clears the path to be able to go deep into family history, triggers, what's coming up for you. It allows you to be more vulnerable and all of the crises of the week are not there to protect you from going deeper. Those are the best sessions because it allows you to get to the depth and the root of what's going on and can really be eye-opening in a lot of ways. So I would say also if you're a therapist, going to therapy, if you feel like you have nothing to talk about, that's okay. Allow yourself to be vulnerable and allow yourself to go there. You can only take your clients as deep as you've taken yourself. So remember that when you are in the other chair. So here's a Dear Emma Jen. Dear Emma Jen, I love your podcast. Thank you. Yay. And currently a 26-year-old. I hate myself for that. Currently a 26-year-old. I love your podcast. And I'm currently a 26-year-old burnout elementary special education teacher in New York. I'm interested in changing careers and becoming a therapist. People naturally open up to me about their problems and come to me for advice. But I'm trying to figure out if I will just become burnt out in the other profession. What does becoming a therapist entail? How do I get it started? Please help me. Much love a burnt out teacher. <gasps> These teachers. Ugh, we're sending you love. It is, should be, it is a motherfucking sin. What has happened to teachers That's in really this goddamn <laughs> country? <laughs> I love every teacher and y'all don't get paid. Fucking enough. You should get, no. get paid a million dollars a year. Yeah, one million. One million dollars. Of course you're burnt out. This shit's insane. So let me tell you something possible you could come burnt out in any profession. I think that that's a risk absolutely anywhere you go because we live in late stage capitalism and we love productivity and overworking ourselves. So you would have to be very, very aware about that. How do I actually have work-life balance? How do I actually take care of myself? How do I have um, enough self-care and community care? All these things. But if you want to become a therapist, what it might look like is checking out some different um, grad school programs I would imagine that you probably, if you're elementary school, special education, you might have to do a few prereqs like statistics or abnormal psych and stuff like that, which you could do through a community college. So I, w- I would start with is looking at graduate school programs and see what prereqs they would need before you start applying. But it's very easy for you to apply, then do um, some type of online or community college uh, program to get those prereqs done. It's typically, if you do full time, it's typically a year and a half to two years. For part time, it can go around three years, depending on how much you're working or if you're working during that time. Um, and then also what type of internship you end up with if you get your hours um, quickly enough. So, to get started, first of all, I would figure about if I was to do this, what population would I want to work with? And the population you want to work with it might change which degree you end up getting. Jen and I knew that we wanted to work with couples, so being MFTs made the most sense for us. If you're wanting to work um, with families, being an MFT is going to make the most sense. If you want to work in an agency um, school program, you might want to start out in social work. Um, A lot of people in addictions do LPC. So I think you would start to say, like, what is the population I'd be interested in working with? Because there is all of these different degrees um, and what you want to do with them. But also sometimes it's what program can I get into? What can I afford? And what you have to remember is you'll do a bunch of, you're going to do a bunch of work in grad school, but you're going to be learning the rest of your life. So even if you end up in a more of a general grad school program, you can 
always take continuing educations and certifications and um, post-grads and all that stuff afterwards. Get there, learn the basics, and then you can sort of um, dwindle down from there about what you're really looking for. Here's what I would say in terms of the burnout piece of it. Um, the thing I, the thing that, you know, it took me to is like how the question I would ask yourself is like, how do you feel when people are opening up to you about their problems? You know, something you experience as a therapist and we talk about being a therapist as almost like a calling, right? Where when we talk to people who aren't therapists, we tell them what we do. They're like, I could never do that. And like, I feel that way about a ton of professions, right? Like I could never do a lot of things. Um, but I knew that when people would open up to me about their problems, like there was something about it that like felt so fulfilling. And you, you know, Emily and I have talked about this over the years that there are times in which we have maybe been struggling with our own stuff or like been really stressed and we will go into a session and come out of a session and you're like a new person because the level of fulfillment that you get from like having that connection with someone and being there for someone and, you know, hearing what they're going through and seeing their resilience, there is something that's unbelievably fulfilling about it. Um, And not everyone feels that way, right? There are some people who really get that. And then there are some people who don't. So that's a question if you're deciding, like, am I going to become burnout? Yes, there's absolutely a risk. But I would ask you to ask yourself, like, does it feel in a way like a calling for you when people do come to you? Does it feel good to give them advice? Does it feel good to help them? Does it feel good to help people in general? Do you, you know, analyze yourself a lot? Are you analyzing other people? Like, I think sometimes our brains work in certain ways. And when we're in the right place, and it feels like it fits, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as much like work than it than doing something that doesn't feel like the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't want to say that corny saying of like, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But like, we still work all the time. We work all the time. (laughs) That's why I say I didn't want to say it. But also, we're doing a million things. We're not just, you know. But but when you, but you really, something you just said actually really spoke to me is you say this idea, like, where like, if I think about like being an astronaut, I'm like, I know I could never do that. That sounds like some shit I would never want to do. But if I think about seeing clients, I know I could never not do that. Right. Like that is what I know I, in whatever way, in whatever capacity, whatever that looks like helping other people, I can never not do. Absolutely. And listen, not everyone gets that opportunity to in their career be doing something that is like completely fulfilling their soul. Yeah. And that's okay, right? You can find other things that completely fulfill your soul. But and not every part will. I mean like doing paperwork sure as shit doesn't fulfill oh, soul. Right, right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Writing invoices. I'm like, ah, oh, I love this shit. No. <laughs> but like right. But yeah. There are p- pieces of it, of course, that will not feel fulfilling. But but that's what I would say is like Listen to the things that really give to you and look for the career that you can meld those two together. I think that that's essential. And and I just have felt so lucky to be able to have that myself. And I know a lot of therapists feel that way. All right. That's today's episode. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you liked it, always send it on over to a friend. We always ask you to rate, review, subscribe, follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on YouTube at Trink Chicks, on Instagram at Trink Chicks or the therapy group. We would love to help you find the right therapist for you. You can go to the therapygroup.com, fill out a contact form. We would love to match you. Jen and I match you ourselves. Ourselves. What we do. 
Thank you so much for listening. It is always an honor to spend the space with you. You can check out our merch at TrinkChicks.com. You can check out our journal if you write in TrinkChicks Journal into Amazon. It's always an honor to be a small, small part of your life. We will see you next week at Trick Chicks. And don't forget that to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. We'll talk soon. Bye.